Welcome back guys to another episode of On The Back Bar. Today's guest really needs no introduction. His career has seen him across the stage and behind the bar of every continent. And his role as Education Director at Tales of the Cocktail gave us a world of insight into the trade. It is of course the charismatic Irishman Philip Duff. He was here with me in Bangkok recently to promote the launch of his brand of Geneva, Old Duff. And from what I've heard, it's been met with great response. Now I have to admit, I think I was a little naive about Geneva before talking to Philip, but he really explains it well in this episode. This was a very fun chat, actually, and we even laid down some industry predictions in which we have set a date for five years' time to see if they come true, so listen out for those. Now, while I have your attention, I feel it's my duty to say something about recent events. I am, of course, talking about the global pandemic of COVID-19, also known as coronavirus, in which we're all feeling the effects. Countries are now taking precautions necessary by shutting borders, and we are being told to work from home and avoid social gatherings. It is a scary time, but the most important thing for us all is we must stick together and not panic. Panic doesn't help for anything, and this means unnecessary panic buying too. Keep up good hygiene, take care of others, and we will get through this. This is a time to look out to your network for support and advice. If you're an F&B business, why not look to a delivery service and create a special menu for it? If you're still able to open your establishment, put your staff wellbeing first by buying a firmer thermometer and putting in place clear practices for hygiene. Be a clear voice on social media, so guests know it's a safe place to be. This will hurt the trade a lot, but for the short-term pain in opposed to saving potentially thousands of lives, it is worth it. The prevention of spread is the most important factor in stopping the virus altogether. Now, if you have a bar or restaurant or even a hotel, why not get in contact with me and let me know what practices you have in place. I would love to know what the rest of the community is doing and I'll share it with all in the upcoming episode. You can contact me on Christopher at gastronomalifestyle.com and my email will also be in the show notes. Now, enough of the doom and gloom. Let's go on with the show and I hope you guys enjoy. Talk to you later. Benjamin Franklin once said, In wine there is wisdom, in beer there is freedom, and in water there is bacteria. No bacteria here. This is On the Back Bar, hosted by Christopher Menning, an industry expert, author, and bartender who's been in the industry for over a decade. On the Back Bar is your gateway to talking to the people behind the scenes at bars, distilleries, and vineyards around the world. We'll talk to the experts in the industry about future trends, people, spirits, cocktails, wine, and everything else. So kick your feet up, pour your favorite drink, and hang out on the back bar. This is Christopher Menning. Philip Duff, thank you so much for coming on the back bar today. How are you? I'm really well, thanks. Yeah, it's been a hectic. It feels like I've been in Bangkok for about a month, but I only got here like two days ago. I think I've been to every bar in Bangkok since I got here. There's plenty to go around, that's for sure. And uh, how long are you in Bangkok for this time? Uh, This is it. So I've got one more event we're doing tonight. and Then I'm shipping out early, early tomorrow. I think I've got like a 6 a.m. flight uh, moving on to the next country. Brilliant. Well, now your career is the stuff of legends, and I'm sure that most of our listeners know who you are. But for those who don't know too much, could you give us a quick rundown of your career and who Philip Duff is? Yeah, I'm an old bartender, and I was always a bartender from the age of 15 in my native Ireland. And when I saw the movie Cocktail, 
that was more career guidance than entertainment for me. <laughs> so I wound up bartending in my native Dublin, in London, uh, briefly and illegally in New York. Then I was back in London and I was asked to go and run what we hoped would become a chain of ours in Holland. I went for three months, stayed for 17 years. And while I was living there, I saw a transition from being a full-time bartender to being a full-time bar consultant, giving trainings and tastings and helping create products. And essentially, being a bartender for drinks companies. You know, the way a bartender does for their guests, look after them, make sure they don't do anything too stupid, lead them towards good choices. That's more or less what I do for liquor brands. So you're in Thailand right now after 10 years. So welcome back. And you are promoting your Geneva brand. So Old Duff, it's been around for a couple of years now, I think, right? Yeah, it's actually uh, two and a half years old. So um, it's been given a real boost by working with great local distributors like bootleggers here in Thailand mm -hmm. and the master Asian importer distribution company, Proof & Company. Fantastic. So, I mean, obviously your love of Geneva must have come from your time in Amsterdam, but can you explain a bit about where this love came from? Yeah, it's really weird because, ironically, Dutch people don't think very much of their national spirit, believe it or not. Huh. And I really got into Geneva and it kind of helped that I learned to speak and read and write Dutch. So I could kind of dig out the research. And it was also convenient for when I was teaching classes and seminars, especially if I was teaching about the history of gin, because everybody got all the Geneva information wrong. And there wasn't a lot of Geneva outside Holland. So people didn't know what it tasted like. So they'd say all sorts of like silly things about it. So I really got into it. And I was also at one stage asked by a client to help them develop a Geneva, which is the Balls Geneva. And it's probably the best known Geneva that there is. So I literally got to learn all about making Geneva and get paid for it by somebody else. And it kind of led me to want to make my own one. Great. Uh, yeah, I know Balls very well. I've actually been to the distillery. And you were a big part of uh, Balls Around the World. Uh, balls Around the World, yeah. We did a series of competitions with balls. Actually, I think we probably did the first uh, bartender competition ever that you could enter online. It was very uh, avant-garde. And we kind of evolved that year after year into something that seems to have become a standard, uh, which is the Balls Around the World competition indeed. And in your consultancy through Liquid Solutions, can you tell us a bit about how that came about and some of the projects you've worked on? Yeah, I mean, I think every bartender's had the experience of somebody coming into the bar where you work at and asking you to come and train your staff. That happens. And if you live in larger cities, you also very often get drinks companies coming in saying, uh, we've got some samples. What do you think about that? Or what good ideas might you have for developing new promotional items? Or they'll invite you into some kind of a think tank. And that was happening with such regularity back then. I thought, you know what, this is becoming a full-time job. And it's kind of convenient. I, when I was at college, I picked up a marketing degree. So the people at Brands, that's their background. And I know how to speak to them in, in the way that they expect to hear. And obviously, I know about the world of bars and the entree, as we call it. So I like to say I'm bilingual in both marketing and bar. And the work... I've been able to do with Liquid Solutions has been absolutely fantastic. I've had some of the best customers in the world. So at my peak, I was visiting 30 or 40 countries every single year, which is a dream, right? What bartender doesn't want to, want to travel? <laughs> Very true. So, you know, back in Asia, um, what are some of the things you're seeing in Asia in, in terms of how it's developed? Because you said it's been 10 years now, and there's definitely been a lot of changes. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember, if I could be honest, that Bangkok and Thailand, it was one of those countries when uh, I spoke to, you know, my colleagues. And we say, I wonder why the cocktail culture hasn't gone as far as fast there as in, say, Hong Kong or Singapore. And now, a decade on, it's absolutely stratospheric. I mean, the bars I've visited are unbelievable, you know, in such a short amount of time. And I think it's just a very simple question of a few bars being the pioneers leading the way. And once you've got one great bar, after a while, somebody who's worked there will probably go and start another one and another one and another one. And now I went on the bar crawls on um, both, what, Saturday and Sunday. And I was really impressed. The internet helps a lot. You can you can research so much, learn so much. You can obtain products. And now you've got great local distributors doing craft spirits like bootleggers here in Bangkok. Yeah, for sure. And we know Minway quite well. He's actually coming on the show soon too. Um, so fantastic. I mean, you've also been a huge educator in the industry and you've been part of pretty much every event going. What, what's been some of your favorite drink shows along the way? Well, definitely Tales of the Cocktail. That's, you know, it's the big mama. It's the, the ultra marathon of drink and cocktail shows. And I loved attending it. I loved presenting at it and I still love presenting at it. And for just under 10 years, I had the privilege of being its director of education, the first ever in charge of shaping the educational policy there and making sure that if we increase the number of seminars every year, that we maintain the quality. It was very stressful, but that was brilliant. And at the other end of the spectrum, I was asked two years ago to go to a bar show in Kiev. I was brand new. I hadn't heard about it. And it was called Barometer. And oh my God, Christopher, this is like just about <laughs> pound for pound the best bar show in the world. It's their first or second year. I think this year is the third year. And it's just spectacularly well organized. The seminars, the event, the pop-up bars, it's amazing. So, you know, two extreme ends of the spectrum. Tails, which is almost 20 years old, and Massive and Barometer, which is in its third year, and more modest. I mean, every single city has its own show now, and most of them are brilliant. Yeah, for sure. And obviously, being part of uh, Tales of the Cocktail was amazing. What were some of the proudest moments you had there? Uh, selfishly, I suppose, being awarded the Golden Spirit Award for Best Presenter. <laughs> that was a real, a real accolade, because obviously you're up against literally the best people in the world. And I suppose it wasn't a thing from one day to the next, but we gradually managed to increase the number of seminars we put on from around 40 or 50 up to around 80 or 90. And we continued to be seen as the best quality of cocktail and spirit seminars in the world. That meant a lot uh, because people pay for tickets. They paid, you know, $65 or more. And we introduced some new concepts there as well. That was, that was pretty amazing. But honestly, every time I get to stand in front of bartenders and talk about the things that I love, and uh, the research that's impressed me recently, it's a blessing. Like yesterday at Sorrento, we essentially launched Old Duff with seminar about the Geneva category. And I can talk about that in any span of time from five minutes to eight hours. It's, I can't believe I actually get to do this for a living. I mean, yeah, it's a pretty epic job for sure. Well, let's go into it then, Geneva. What, what are some of the main differences people should see uh, between Geneva and gin? Because I feel like, you know, gin's gin kind of has hit the peak. And do you think Geneva may be coming in now and, and taking up? I don't know. I don't know. And the thing is, 
real Geneva is not like gin at all. It's like whiskey. In fact, Geneva is the great, 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 great grandparents of gin. Yes, it is. But it's also the parent of whiskey, by which I mean, back in the day, and I'm an Irishman, we invented whiskey. All whiskey was unaged like Geneva. It had a flavorful grain base like Geneva, and it contained botanicals like Geneva, right? Whiskey wasn't commonly aged till the 1800s, and the botanicals didn't disappear until later than that. So Geneva is what whiskey was. It's literal living history. Mm -hmm. The gin thing came about because the Dutch were selling Geneva all over the world. Like if you and me had gone to a bar, Christopher, even as recently as 100 or 120 years ago, and he walked in and said, a cocktail, please, bartender. The bartender would simply ask you if you wanted Geneva, brandy, rum, uh, or whiskey. That was it. It was, it was that big of a spirit. But the Dutch were trying to sell it all around the world. It, it's been sold in Thailand for hundreds of years, in South America, in Australia, everywhere. And they didn't care what it was called. They're not as emotionally attached to terroir as the French are. So if they were selling it to an English colony, they, they wouldn't label it Geneva. They'd call it Dutch gin or they call it Hollands or something like that. And that's where, the, that's where the mishap came in. So if you imagine unaged whiskey with a tiny little bit of juniper and maybe some other botanicals, that's what Geneva is. Great. And, and how about some of the production methods? Uh, you know, what's the process of making Geneva? It's a great question. It's, it, you really make whiskey. In fact, so much so that my distiller, a gentleman called Odd van der Lee, when he had finished creating Old Duff Geneva, both of the SKUs. And it's a very high rye Geneva, is Old Duff. I said to him, Odd, you've, you've just taught yourself to make rye whiskey, mate. You should make some. So the distillery actually did make some rye whiskey and it's in barrels in Holland. But to answer your question, what you do is you ferment a mash, right? Just like with making whiskey of grains. Usually with Geneva, it's uh, three or four corn wheat and barley. With Old Duff, it's a mash of two-thirds rye and one-third malted barley. You ferment that mash, you make a sort of a beer with it, and then you distill it in pot stills at least three times and a maximum of four. Right? Then you've got the base for Geneva, which is called malt wine. There's no grapes in it. It's not wine. That's just the word as it was translated from Old Dutch. So... With malt wine, you've almost got Geneva, but not quite. You need to add some juniper at a minimum. So what you will do is take some of that malt wine and redistill it with juniper. And then you blend the malt wine distillate with the juniper distillate and reduce it to the strength that you have. And that is Geneva. That's the most basic way to make it. If you do it that way, with no neutral alcohol, no sugar, no color, uh, and you do it in Holland, you can call it 100% malt wine Geneva. And there are only three of those left in the whole world. And Old Duff, the black bottle, is one of those. So I'm very proud to be bringing back a style that's sort of on the brink of extinction. Well, that's fantastic, absolutely. Uh, how should people be drinking this Geneva? How do you recommend it? From buckets. Uh, I'll be joking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with a big straw. <laughs> with, a bit, with a big straw, yeah. From an eco toad. No, um, <laughs> what I think the best way to do it is, first of all, have a taste of it. There's actually two SKUs of Old Duff. I'll explain them in a minute if you like. 
and have a taste of it, decide uh, which cocktail you'd like to try. And I always advise the classic cocktails first. Have a Collins with Geneva. It will change your life. There's nothing better than having a Collins with Geneva. In fact, at the event yesterday in Sorrento, we drank Collins's made by Boy, one of the senior bartenders there. And we actually finished all the Geneva that we brought. We have to get extra for tonight's events in Bangkok. <laughs> it's absolutely delicious. It's just Geneva, lemon, sugar, shake with ice, and pour in a long drink glass, top up with soda and a lemon slice. It's amazing. The other big classic is the Martinez cocktail. And I like having it with two parts of a sweet vermouth, one part of Old Duff Geneva, a spoon of maraschino liqueur, a couple of dashes of aromatic bitters, stirred and served up. That's it. That's brilliant. And once you've done that, once you've experienced the, the classics and decided what you like, I encourage bartenders to just treat it as any other spirit. Treat it as a nice, interesting spirit. Don't feel you can only make those cocktails. Brilliant. And uh, obviously, between the two SQs, there's, there must be a bit of a price difference. Would it, would it be Old Duff Geneva is more of a, a speed rail and the single malt is more of a back bar? Is that kind of how you're, you're thinking it? Sort of. The real reason I have two of them is I had to make the malt wine to be the base for the green bottle, right, which has 53% malt wine and 47% neutral spirit. So I had to make the malt wine anyway. And I thought, well, why don't I just release this like as a sort of a special treat and it might not sell very much but it'll be out there and i wanted it to be an affordable upgrade because the regular old stuff in the green bottle was actually designed to be the bartender's best friend in the speed rail reasonably priced amazing quality right that was always the goal so when i thought about bringing out the 100 percent malt wine i said okay it has to be a bit more expensive but it must be affordable so it should generally be within about eight to ten us dollars more expensive which makes it an affordable upgrade and i thought that when we brought it out because it's such a unique category and unusual i thought ah oh, for every four bottles of the regular stuff we'll probably sell one bottle of the 100 percent malt wine and now two years on in new york which is where we have the most data from it's like uh 40 of the sales are the 100 percent malt wine which is brilliant it's in a lot of cocktails it's on the menu at the connaught the nomad uh the existing condition so that's really kind of cool do you think america is the best representation of, of geneva right now well we just launched it there first because that's where i live and it was convenient mm. it's certainly a great cocktail nation 50 countries all rolled into one and everyone likes a drink but to be honest, I see similar strengths in places like Holland is actually going off. It's really, its cocktail culture is really booming now. England, especially London, of course, and throughout Southeast Asia. I mean, most people would kill to be able to open a bar the way that many bartenders here have been able to open a bar. It's just not affordable in many of the big cities. Very true, very true. So uh, what, what are some of your top bars in Asia right now? Uh, you mentioned you went on a couple of bar calls the other day. So be interested to see where you went. I mean, I, I'd be interested to see where I went as well. Thank God I checked, <laughs> in, on, uh, I checked in on Facebook on some of them. Uh, I think, let me see, it, just in Thailand or in all of Asia? I think Asia as a whole, really. Well, I've been really impressed by uh, all the bars I've seen in Thailand so far. And I was kind of a blast from the past. I went to Smalls, which is like the industry hangout bar, right? Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah, and I got talking to the owner, who's this American dude, 
And it turns out I've been to the bar he used to own in Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam, a place called the Q Bar, absolutely legendary place. So that was really cool, you know. And uh-huh. his head bartender, Danny, I think it is, uh, or Barry, possibly. It's Danny, we know uh, him. <laughs> it is Danny, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, he used to bartend at a great bar that I have even given trainings at in Vancouver in Canada, the George, which is sh- showing you how small the world is, 100%. if you will. Yeah, really. So back to business bars in Asia. I mean, I was really impressed to finally, finally go to my friend Agong's bar, The Old Man in Hong Kong. I've known Agong for a long time and it had just racked up so many accolades, world's 50 best bar, Asia's 50 best bars, that it was a real treat to go there. My old mate, uh, Andrew, managing things. It was like coming home. It's very, very impressive. Um, I remember the first time I went to Atlas Bar in Singapore. Oh, it's amazing. And that's just like, holy shit. Yeah, it's phenomenal. You know, <laughs> like you, even, if, even if I keep going back, I, I still can't quite believe it's not a hotel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Brilliant. So that's, that's really impressive. I mean, I did a China tour, seven cities in seven days, which almost killed me as well. Mm-hmm. And I was very impressed with all the Rosewood hotels that I went to. They just continue to blow me away with their bar program. At every level, it seems like each bar is, is better than the last. And there were some of the bars I went to in Hangzhou and uh, Guangzhou. I think probably Hope and Sesame in Guangzhou, which is run by Bastian Chioka, a Swiss gentleman. That was really, really, really impressive, what they were doing in their labs like mega, mega complicated cocktails, making all their own distillates and bitters and stuff like that, doing education. But the bar itself was a hell of a lot of fun. And you could go in there and have a great night and never know all the work that went into your drink. But if you want to know about it, it was there. I was very impressed by that, I guess, by their restraint. Okay. We, we recently had Nico De Soto on the podcast and he thought that Asia is sort of leading the way now, maybe taking over in terms of some of the best bars. Would you agree with this? Do you think Asia's really like pushing ahead? I do, actually. I don't agree with Nico about very much, but he's right <laughs> on that. I'm like, I was joking. Nico's actually a dear friend. Um, I think so, because what I'm seeing in some countries is young bars, sorry, young bartenders being able to start their own bars, maybe with a loan or investors, but being able to do it. And in many of the other cities, it's just not possible. In fact, in many cities, London is a good example. It's just not affordable to live there anymore, right? Because rents have gone up so much and bartender wages and income have not. So throughout Asia, and thanks to really strong importers like Proof & Company, thanks to Asia's 50 Best Bars and other gets, get-togethers like that, I think Nico might have a very good point that it's definitely moving faster here than in mature markets like the US and the UK. For sure, for sure. It's one of the reasons why I'm here. So we touched on uh, seminars and education, and uh, I actually watched a video of you recently. Uh, you did a 2016 presentation on global trends, and it was quite funny because you said that everyone kind of knows the trends, but people are really interested in the, the crazy shit, you know? <laughs> so with that in mind, what are your predictions for the next couple of years? All right. This means I can come back on the podcast in like four or five years. Yes. Through, right? <laughs> Absolutely. 
Um, I think for we're going to see a lot more noise around low alcohol and non-alcoholic drinking, both non-alcoholic products, you know, the category that's essentially being created by Seedlip and non-alcoholic drinks in bars. I will say that, though. One thing that isn't being spoken about enough is that these products aren't actually selling that well. And every bartender I talk to or bar owners, when they put non-alcoholic cocktails on the menu and they spend time on them, sales are always really low. So that's why I say there's still going to be a lot of noise around the category, but uh, I wonder if it's going to grow. So that's my first prediction. Second prediction is a rejuvenation of obscure or extinct alcoholic styles, especially in distilled spirits. Now, obviously, as a Geneva brand owner, I would say that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but honestly, uh, if you want to know what the next 5, 10 or 20 years look like in craft spirits, all you have to do is look at the last 20 years in craft beer. Hmm. right? And just as craft beer has revived extinct styles, you've got to bear in mind, it's only been about 20 years ago, maybe 25, since America made its first IPA. The first IPA was brewed in America only 25 years ago, wow, right? Okay. Obviously, IPAs date back more than 100 years to the UK, but they had died out as a category. And now as a category, IPA, just IPA beer, is worth $2 billion a year. So I predict with spirits, yes, gin, I feel, is still going to grow. It hasn't started really booming in the US yet. Whiskey is going to grow. But you're going to see bartenders and eventually consumers getting interested in niche categories such as uh, Geneva, Aquavit, non-denominated agave distillates like Gracia, Bacanora, Sotol, mm. and things like that. Because it's, it's a curiosity to have a connection to something that is not big, not well-selling. You express your personality. So we're going to see a bit more of that. And a third uh, prediction. Again, I don't totally agree with it, but we're going to see more and more drinks brands talking about what their products do for you, right? Same way we've got, you know, nutritional pharmaceuticals that alter your mood and stuff like that. People are going to be talking about, well, you know, we've got this botanical in the gin, which increases your calm and mental health. And hmm. we've got this ingredients in our uh, vodka because that promotes your gut health and stuff like that. I don't believe that spirits are inherently healthy. Certainly not the amounts I've been drinking lately. So I don't <laughs> like the wellness claims. I mean, there's even a gin in the UK that was taken to court by the ad alcohol advertising authorities because it's called collagen and okay. it has okay. collagen in it. I know, I know. And they made claims that it would improve the elasticity of your skin if you drank the gin. And of course, it's so not true, just to be clear. Um, so I, th I fear, I fear we will see more of that. Yeah, um, actually, it's been a bit of a shame, really, with the, with the rise and the growth of the gin market. I feel there's been a lot of that. A lot of bad production mm -hmm. and bad claims just to try and sell a few more bottles. And yeah, I, I've only seen it in gin. Have you seen it in any other spirit categories? If you zoom out and you don't just talk about uh, physical health, but you talk about, you know, 
well-being and uh, even to things like sustainability. There's going to be a lot of people, I guess, is what I'm saying, making bullshit claims, right? We've already seen the phenomenon of greenwashing, whereby, you know, people sponsor a brand, will sponsor a seminar and donate a bit of money and suddenly it's ecologically sustainable. Boom, right? You're going to see lots of brands talking about giving back to the community, you know, when they don't really. Because everybody does want to have a story and setting up a complex supply chain across many, many countries. You can't do it perfectly, but you can't let perfect be the enemy of good. Right. Like Old Dove Geneva is currently still available only in glass bottles. But every time we do a production run, we try to lower the weight while still maintaining the quality. And as soon as we can, we're going to adopt the proof and company eco totes by shipping in these, you know, gallon containers. Absolutely. But we're not going to stop selling it in the meantime, just because uh, it isn't perfect. I feel gradual improvement like that is the way to go rather than faking it until you make it. <laughs> of course. Well, obviously, we know Old Duff Geneva is your biggest project right now. Uh, but have you got any other plans for the future? Oh, yeah. I mean, I still have all my dear clients, and I'm doing some really, really cool stuff. So I'm on a mega seven-week business trip. I feel like I'm, I'm serving all my clients on this trip. So I spent two weeks in London doing seminars for Paulini Limoncello and their lovely Amaro, Ferrochina Beliva, which is also the very last of its kind. It's a, a quinine Amaro, a quina Amaro that contains iron citrate, which is its own category. And their brand, Beliva, is the last one. That was great. I am, what is it? I'm in Thailand now. This is brilliant. We're going to go to New Zealand tomorrow. And then I've got a week learning about sherry in Jerez in Spain. Brilliant. We're going to drop by Amsterdam Cocktail Week because Flying Dutchman Cocktail Bar in Amsterdam actually has its Amsterdam Cocktail Week cocktail is Old Duff and then starts the Beluga Vodka Signature competition which is something I'm in charge of now and it's a very rewarding thing we noticed that and I'm sure it's the same in Thailand that bartenders are asked a lot to enter competitions you know you have to take time off work spend money on unique glassware and props, send in a recipe, send in another recipe, go around begging on social media. It's a lot of work and you probably won't win, right? There's only one winner in the end, which I felt wasn't totally fair. So instead, we turned it upside down with the Beluga Signature Program. All you do is send in a recipe, right? That's it. And more or less, if you do that, you get invited to the pop-up bartender school where there'll be myself, the the reigning Beluga Signature champion and a star speaker giving unique lectures and seminars that you will not see anywhere else. You won't see them at Bar Convent or Tales of the Cocktail. They won't be online. They're just for you. And we also have a rather luxurious lunch and we have a caviar tasting and obviously a vodka tasting. So we're giving bartenders the rewards up front. And if they then want to move forward and participate more fully in the program, they're absolutely welcome to. We'd love it. But if they don't, we've had a great day out with all of them. They've met each other. They've met us. So we're going to be doing that in seven countries. We're going to do Paris, uh, Rome. Hopefully things have calmed down by there. Madrid, London, Delhi, Moscow. It's fantastic. And then I go home and I'm going on a cruise, but not for relaxation. I have another client 
right. that is a cruise line. And believe it or not, I have to take a couple of short cruises to familiarize myself with their ships. It's a hard so life. That I know, right? This is like, uh, you know, please, please send hopes and prayers. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, th those are some of the things that I'm doing for my clients. So I really do feel blessed every day that uh, I get paid for this. Yeah, I mean, wow, it just sounds like nonstop. Um, so Beluga competition, how can people enter that? Yes, so there is the Beluga Signature Vodka uh, program on the website, but unfortunately, there's no entrance in uh, Thailand yet. But you can enter if you are a bartender living and working in the UK, France, Spain, Italy, Russia. I mean, obviously, it is a Siberian vodka. India. And there's one more country. What one have I left out? I said Madrid, didn't I? I think you did, but we'll add that in anyway. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. So okay. you can just enter by going to the website in your country and sending in a recipe and then you'll be able to come to the school. This year, the guest speaker is the brilliant, and I mean that literal, Remy Savage, uh, head bartender of Little Red Door in Paris, former head bartender of the rebooted Artesian in London. Somebody who's got like a background, an actual background in philosophy and design. He's also now got his own absolutely gorgeous range of glassware i think it's called nude so i was really happy that he was able to make the time to come on the road with us and he's creating his seminars as we speak so it's going to be really cool well philip once again thank you so much for coming on the show we really appreciate it no my pleasure thanks so much for having me on and you know pencil it in for five years from now we'll see who, who got the predictions right we'll do for sure <laughs> and tonight i hear you're at vespa bar we are doing the official launch party of Old Dutch Geneva at Vesper Bar from 7 p.m. onwards. Superwitz actually created an entire cocktail menu of Old Dutch Geneva cocktails, which I'm absolutely thrilled to uh, try myself. And then I have to be at the airport as I think, what, it's a 6 a.m. flight, probably be there at 4, do you think? Yeah, DMK? I would go for it. DMK, yeah, you'll be fine, 4 o'clock. <laughs> yeah, so obviously... Holding a launch party is the absolute best way to prepare for a 6 a.m. flight. So if you have time and you're in Bangkok, please come along and uh, send me off. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Philip, and enjoy the rest of your time in Thailand. Thank you, Christopher. Talk soon. Well, what a show. Good luck to Philip on his travels. I certainly hope he doesn't get trapped anywhere. If you liked the show, please give us a follow on Instagram, uh, subscribe, go over to Patreon, join the community. And yeah, that's pretty much it from me. Like I said, get in contact. I'd love to know what you guys are doing over COVID-19 and how you're staying afloat and helping your community. Next week, we have another guest who's big in the wine trade and he's also a big educator too. He is Tom Sergi, the brand ambassador for Ridgeview Estate, the English sparkling wine. And um, yeah, he's a really great talker and a great guy I used to work with. So it's a fun episode. Anyway, that's enough for me. Talk soon, guys.